Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in the greatest city on earth, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. My name is Benjamin Rangel. I'm your host today, all alone without any of my co-hosts as usual, but that's okay because we have an important election special in our hands here. If you remember, our election specials are episodes that feature an extended interview with the candidate for an upcoming election, and that election is just in eight short days. So in eight days, on April 2nd, you all will have the opportunity to vote for a variety of important positions. These include positions like the Wisconsin state supreme court seat that's open uh, a seat that term is 10 years so your vote on april 2nd will affect the state for the next 10 years at the least and even longer if you think about the repercussions of some of the decisions that happen at the state level at the supreme court this is a race between brian hagdorn and lisa neubauer there's also a citywide school board race that everyone in the city of milwaukee can can vote for and this is an election between Bob Peterson and Stephanie Dugan. You can listen to our former episode with Paula Phillips to hear more about the school board and why it's important. There's also a variety of judicial positions at the county and municipal level. One of those is for the county circuit court for Branch 40, where there's a race between public defender Daniel Shelton and incumbent Andrew Jones. And just a few weekends ago, I got to sit down with Danielle Shelton to discuss why she's running, why this judgeship is so important to expanding justice and equity in our county, and why she thinks she will make a difference on the bench. So enjoy this interview, uh, but also I want to point out before we get started that we have uh, a way for you all to support the podcast. If you visit uh, patreon.com slash bridge the city, you'll be able to become a patron of the podcast. And there's a variety of different tiers. Uh, We're looking for support, you know, ranging from $4 to $10 or any amount you're willing to give. Any amount goes a long way, believe me. And we would super appreciate that if you've been a longtime listener and you're looking to support, uh, to, to check out our Patreon account. That's patreon.com slash Bridge City and become a patron. There's different tiers too, so you can get some uh, exciting gifts from us if you decide to donate on a monthly basis. So back to the podcast and the interview though. Enjoy this conversation that I had with Danielle Sheldon. My name is Danielle Shelton. My current role in the city is I'm a uh, assistant public defender. I work for the public defender's office right here in Milwaukee, trial office. Uh, so that means I represent indigent people who are accused of um, anything, anywhere from nonviolent misdemeanors uh, all the way through homicide. A lot of I handle a lot of uh, drug and gun cases. That's my role currently. Yeah. And what what inspired you or what motivated you to become a public defender? Did you know law was always the, the calling, or did you come to it uh, at some point in your life? Yeah, that's that's a great that's a great question. To tell you the truth, in um, in 1991, I was in Oconomowoc. And I had an, an an argument with my boyfriend who was who's black like myself, and um, somebody called the police, and I wound up um, arrested and charged with a disorderly conduct disorderly conduct, for which I you know paid a hundred and eighty dollar fine, and um, spent a night in jail for that, um, and that was sort of the first time that I thought about the law. Like, um, and how old were you then? 26, okay, 26. Okay. So that was sort of the first time I thought about um, becoming a lawyer. Uh, but 
you know, it was sort of something in the back of my mind, really, that the law, how I could possibly use the law um, for good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, but my my that wasn't the path I was on at that point. I was actually working for an insurance company. And then from there, I wound up working in securities uh, for American Express, managed a multimillion dollar portfolio, had my securities licenses. Um, I had been in the military for six years. Uh, and then I, as, as a, when I was working in American Express, I decided to make myself, try to make myself more valuable to, to them. So I th- decided to go to law school. Mm-hmm. I thought I would study securities and tax law, maybe do some mergers and acquisitions. I didn't know, I thought that was the path I would take with law. I went to Marquette Law School. Um, I was a single mom at the time. My, but, uh, and as I was at the law school, I started meeting some judges. And some of the judges talked to me saying, wow, you're an older student. You have this breadth of, of not only life experiences, but as well as um, professional experiences. Why don't you think about maybe developing your career to one day run for judge? And, I, and so that was some so sort was of... what year? You this was about, in 2000. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that was another thing that I sort of put on the back of, of my, you know, on the back burner and just sort of was thinking about a little bit. After law school, we had this unique opportunity to pick up and go to France. So we moved to France. While in France, my kids attended French public school, and I worked to help immigrant women get settled. And then we came back to Milwaukee, and I wanted to... I started going down the path of, uh, of interviewing at corporate law firms, mm-hmm. um, but I, I wanted to be more connected to the community. I wanted to be a helper. I wanted to help people. And that was that because of your experience either helping people in France or like what do you like what sparked it? Or- I can tell you that my family uh, grew up being part of the community. My stepfather was Thomas Harold Wynn. He started the National Association of Black Veterans. And so when I was a teenager, I did things to help veterans get their benefits. And so it was always about, you know, being part of the solution, being part of helping make the community better. And so that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to make the community better. So what I wound up doing is working at Legal Action. And and while at Legal Action, I... um, I was their senior law attorney, and I helped senior citizens who had been victimized in, in, uh, in different ways. Um, and then after working at Legal Action for a while, I got a call from the Public Defender's Office, and I know this is a, sort of a long no, way no, into... This is, this is what I wanted to know. I think one of the things here on the podcast, we want to know sort of a little bit more... Uh, personal or intimate uh, background of the candidate. So this is great. Okay. So I'm at Legal Action. I get a call from uh, Robin Dorman, who was um, uh, who was helping to run the, the Milwaukee trial office. And she said, look, we're we're hiring. We haven't hired for a while. And we know you're doing great things over at, the, at Legal Action, but we'd like you to come over here. And I thought, well, I don't know if I could do that job. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the job was like... um because uh the you know public defenders have a bad rep and it seems like a, a lot of work right i wasn't afraid of the work okay. i was afraid of so often you know people say how can you defend how can you defend criminals mm-hmm. and i had to think about that and like brian stevenson says we're all better than the worst thing we've ever done and everyone deserves 
you know, uh, I think Wayne, you know, the, the Supreme Court got it right when they said everyone deserves an attorney, especially when your liberty is at stake, right? Mm -hmm. So I went over to the public defender's office. Actually, today, March 6th, is my 13th year. I started March 6, 2006 at the public defender's office. I've been there for 13 years. Wow, happy and work anniversary. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Started off doing misdemeanors. Uh, but uh, f uh, within, a, within like, I think the first six months, I actually had my first trial uh, by myself was a felony trial. Mm -hmm. And it was a hung jury, which for, for me, that was a win because ultimately the prosecutor uh, amended the charge from a felony to a misdemeanor. Mm -hmm. And my client got time served. And um, I think justice was served there. Okay. And so now fast forward to 13 years after being at the public defender's office, you're running for Milwaukee County Circuit Court. Why to tell us why you're running for for that position? When I was like I said, when I was a, in law student, I had different judges talk to me about developing my career to one day one day run for judge. As I've been practicing and appearing in front of multiple judges um, throughout the years, and as a public defender, I go to court every day, mm -hmm. Monday through Friday. I'm, and that might I'm, be different from other attorneys who aren't public defenders. Yeah, yet. some some judge some like public defenders are appellate attorneys, okay. and so they they write write a, uh, appellate briefs. Or some attorneys are, you know, transactional and do a lot of, you know, drafting of documents for different reasons. So there's a, actually there's a lot of attorneys that don't go to court. Which is probably for some listeners who aren't familiar with the justice system, surprising, right? Because we have this image in our head of like what the where the attorney works, which is the courtroom, when in reality it's unique to have a, a potential judge who has so much experience in front of a judge. Yeah? That is correct. That is correct. So then as I, to, to get to how, why I'm, yeah. I'm here, I, um, this year, well, last year, Scott Walker, our former governor, appointed two career prosecutors. And that was when people, and that was in March of last year. And that was when I had people from the community leaders, as well as sitting judges come to me and say, there is one, such a, there's a problem, one, number one, with people with courtroom experience um, becoming judges. And two, there's a horrible, severe lack of diversity on the Milwaukee County bench. Mm. Um, there hasn't been a black person put on the bench in 15 years. I will be the third African-American woman ever to sit on the Wisconsin Circuit Court. Wow. The first was Val Phillips. The second was Maxine White. And I'll be the third. Maxine White is still there. She's yeah. still there. She was appointed in um, in 1992, and there hasn't been a, a black woman since. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't black women, black lawyers that don't have experience and don't and don't you know aren't aren't well suited and well qualified to sit on the bench. But there's something going on that that is there's a ceiling, I would say, or or there's you know. Probably, you know, systemic obstacles, right? Yes. That, um, you know, might not be explicit uh, saying that a black woman isn't able to run for office, but certainly within systems, just like systems that, you know, we talk about on the podcast all the time, there's uh, racist systems in place, right, that prevent uh, equity. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, 
Yeah, so so here I am. I, I have not only professional experience, I have uh, I have work experience beyond my professional um, life, I, and I have community experience. I've been involved in the community in different areas for, gosh, since I, if, I, if I talk about my experience with Na the National Association of Black Veterans, that started when I was 12, 13 years old, and working in the community um, since then in different areas. I'm more, I'm, I'm very qualified uh, to, to, to serve in this role. Um, I've raised two daughters as a single mom. My oldest daughter graduated from Brown and Johns Hopkins, went on to be a teacher with Teach for America, and then want, uh, got her master's degree and then uh, wound up uh, working for Hawaii's largest hospital, running a sex abuse uh, treatment center. She was the youngest manager in that in that hospital's um, history. My youngest daughter went to Loyola, uh, Chicago, graduated, uh, went off to college at 17, graduated in four years, is now a business owner and a professional model, and is doing very well in Chicago. So getting back to this, like the idea, or like the making sure citizens and everyday listeners know you know, what they're voting for, we find, or at least in my re research, uh, I did undergrad at Madison in political science and uh, now getting my master's in international affairs, but there's some political science research that shows uh, part of the reason voters might be apathetic or not turn out is because they don't know, of, like, what they're voting for. And I hear this a ton from my friends. It's like, oh, like, I want to vote for a school board, but I just don't have the time to do the research. I don't know what the school board does. So in terms of what, what the, the, the county circuit court does and what a circuit court judge does, how might that differ from like a municipal judge? Um, or like what, what, is a, what is a day in the life of a, of a circuit, um, county circuit court judge? In Milwaukee County, there are 47 uh, judges, county judges. And, uh, and that, uh, I believe, is tied to our population because Wisconsin is broken up into different counties and, and each county has a different amount, with Milwaukee having the largest amount uh, of judges. Uh, judges in Milwaukee County will sit in either uh, family court, uh, small claims court, sm uh, small claims, uh, large claims or civil, or civil court, uh, um, criminal court, juvenile court, probate court, and within, say, for instance, within uh, criminal court, they're, they're even broken down even further into, like, drug court. Different types of... Yeah, so there's, like, four drug... Uh, within uh, criminal court, there are four uh, drug judges or judges that handle, handle drug cases. There's a, a gun court. There's a drug treatment court. There's a domestic violence court. There are three judges that hit, sit in domestic violence court, hear issues of domestic violence. So... And you could sit in any one of them. My understanding is once you get on the bench, you tell the chief judge what your preferences are, and then they try to slot you. Mm -hmm. Of course, I think people with seniority will get slotted where they, uh, where they probably get their first preference. Judges rotate every couple of years. So if a judge is in family court, say, for a couple of years, they, that judge would have the option to rotate into, um, say, a civil court or, or um, juvenile court or one of the other courts. A day in the life of, say, a criminal court judge is they handle um, plea and sentences. So if a person has 
um, decided to change their plea and enter a plea of guilty, they'll handle that. They'll handle the sentencing of that person. They'll handle motion hearings. Something I do as a defense attorney is I might bring, if I think the Constitution, my client's constitutional rights were violated, they'll handle court trials and they'll handle uh, jury trials. So I know criminal courts are pretty busy. Family courts are uh, are a little bit different, and but they'll handle trials as mm. well. But yeah, they're pretty busy. Yeah, no, that's super helpful because sometimes it just feels so abstract um, in terms of like what the elected official does, right? Their daily responsibilities. So it sounds complicated, but it's not overly complicated to the point where people, you know, this isn't this is an important position, right? There's a lot of I, I think I can get to one of my questions that's talks about uh, sort of the role of the, of the judicial branch. Like theoretically, the judicial branch doesn't have explicit policymaking authority, right? That's, that's the, correct. That's the, that's the legislative branch. And and so um, the role of the judge is, is to apply the law, right? Um, yes. Um, so where does like the individual or like why is the individual, the, the judge themselves, so important? How can like one's judicial philosophy affect outcomes of everyday people here in Milwaukee and in our county. Right. This is huge because if you have judges sitting on the bench that are so far removed from the community and aren't tied into or concerned with the fact that, one, Milwaukee suffers from the highest 53206 zip code, the highest incarceration incarcerated zip code in the nation, with which makes Milwaukee you know, which puts a blight on Milwaukee, which I think puts a blight on the state. And what happens is you, when you see these high incarceration rates, we have to start thinking about doing something differently. And we also have to start thinking about who are the people who are incarcerated? And so the people from 53206 are African-Americans, a lot of mostly male that are incarcerated. And so then we also have to start thinking of, are our biases, creeping in when we sentence people. And if we are so removed that we don't understand that our biases might be creeping in or aren't tied into figuring out, you know, does this person really need to be incarcerated? Are there are there community programs that can help this person get out of the justice system? Um, so I think that it's very important to have someone not, from the community that is tied to the community sitting on the bench. And we have seen that, you know, where I, you know, where the I know where they've appointed people who have never lived in Milwaukee, never lived in the city of Milwaukee, but yet will be able to make lifelong lasting decisions of people who don't even look like them and that they have no connection to. Mm -hmm. And so if we keep doing that, are we are things going to change? I, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. And um, so I have a question related to um, the specific court that you might be appointed to sit in based on your preferences. Right. So you mentioned drug court, criminal criminal court In some courts, the concept of adversarial legalism where, you know, the attorneys really drive the show, uh, you know, the questions they ask, their influence is pretty high. But then there's other courts like drug courts where the judge has a lot of discretion and in um, really ability to to affect the the outcome um, is that the same here in Milwaukee? Are there you know is the drug court look different than the the criminal court or is it kind of 
the same in terms of the processes there? Well, in Milwaukee County, uh, it, drug court is part of criminal court, okay. but the people in drug treatment court or, uh, are, are really working toward having their cases dismissed or amended down. And there's a lot of more emphasis on treatment. Mm -hmm. And rather than uh, treating people, because people that are in drug court, uh, drug court have drug problems. Yeah. And so, you know, we, it's beautiful to see this shift away from treating drug addicts like criminals and treating them like the, the illness that they're suffering from. Mm -hmm. And so we as a community need to figure out, and that's what they're doing, figure out how to how to help these people overcome their addiction so that they're not burglarizing, so they're not stealing, so they're not, mm -hmm. you know, so they're not creating problems in the community. You know, if we can get that, if we can get their addiction under control and get them, you know, doing pro-social things in the community, that'll alleviate some of the, the stressors of the community as far as being an unsafe place to live. Yeah, yeah, okay. So one thing that a lot of voters think about when, they're, when they go to the polls is like which person, when, when they make their vote, which person is gonna like really change things, you know? Sometimes it feels like, you know, the system is the system and it is what it is and whoever's in office really won't change much. And it sounds like you do have some qualms with the the way the criminal justice system exists today in terms of its its equity and, and the way uh, it disadvantages people of color throughout the city of Milwaukee, which objectively, if you look at the numbers, that's like a fair criticism from my perspective. But going back to this idea that the system is the system, how would electing you like individually uh, change the system, if at all? Being from the community and having ties to the community, I will be able to tap into those resources that I've developed over my life here, number one. Number two, I've noticed as uh, I represent people, if I bring up that race, the racial aspect of my client sitting there, I have sometimes see some judges where their eyes just glaze over and they don't want to hear it and they don't want to think about it and they don't want that to be a part of, of, of any of the proceedings. Mm -hmm. Um, also, there are some sitting judges that really are taking to heart this problem of mass incarceration and are working to do something about it, yet there are some sitting judges that think that, they're, that they have no role in, in correcting this problem. Mm. And believe me, I, will, I, sit in the, with, I sit with the group, <laughs> I will be sitting with the group that thinks that we need to figure out a different way to address the mass incarceration problem and looking and and I'm not saying I have the answer and I'm not saying that I'm going to you know um, open all the jails and let everyone out uh, you know most certainly I believe that there are some people that need to be incarcerated but are we incarcerating people for the wrong reasons uh, so I'll be looking more closely at at that at those things the benefit of being a public defender is i get to sit down with the person who's charged with a crime and i get to find out you know what's going on and ask them directly what i can do to help help them and that's what i have what i my role is in negotiating outcomes with the prosecutor and with negotiating outcomes with the judge mm -hmm. and so as a sitting judge i'll be able to um, implement some of the ideas that i present 
as far as helping to get this person out of the criminal justice system because at the end of the day we all want the same thing right mm -hmm. we, we all want we all want to live in a safe community and theoretically reduce recidivism and, and get people out of the system and sometimes it feels for my research and what you see and, and read it's like the system is working to like keep people within it almost and yeah and when somebody is out of their community and incarcerated the community is worse off because that person's not there. Right. Families are worse off because that person's not there. And uh, just a little personal note, my dad, I grew up, my dad was in and out of the system and was incarcerated. And so, like, what I think of um, criminal justice reform, I think of the system itself as doing a better job of getting people ready to be back in the community and be productive instead of keeping people there, which sometimes it feels like that's where we're at right now. So Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going to get a little bit away from the specifics around the role um, and just ask you about your proudest moment in either it can be career-wise, uh, in your life personally. What is your, your proudest moment in life? Well, okay, I can think of two things. Of course, my proudest that I'm is my daughters. <laughs> you expected that, right? <laughs> my daughters, I'm... I'm the most proud of them and, and I'm proud of them because they're genuine, genuinely good, good people. They mm -hmm. care about the community that they live in. Uh, I brought them up to be, they're nice Jewish girls. <laughs> so, you know, we grew up with, the, I, I, I raised them with the idea of tzedakah, which is justice or charity. Mm -hmm. And, and so that means, you know, you know, basically basic things, treating others like you would like to be treated and and doing things in the community to make the community better. And you can do things in small ways, everyday little ways. Right. And so they do that. They've grown. And, and so I'm very proud of them. My proudest moment, you know, I'm 54, so I've had lots. But I can think think of the, the one thing that I am most proud. The number one accomplishment for me was finishing basic training, <laughs> going off to the army and go doing basic training where I wanted to quit every day. I was there, gone for nine weeks in Fort Jackson, South Carolina in the 80s. It was hot, no air conditioning, wearing wool socks and uh, having to uh, sleep in a tent and uh, having CS gas thrown at me and not being able to bathe and, you know, these and just having to learn about the military, having the military basically tear, tear me down as an individual to build me up as a team to work to accomplish the mission and and to graduate from that. Um, when I really, I like every day I think I wanted, especially after week five, I thought about, I, I actually went in to quit. I actually went in to quit. I was done. I was over it. <laughs> Send me home now. And th at that was the moment where, you know, a couple of drill sergeants sat me down and talked to me and said, you can do this. Mm -hmm. You can do this. And that they had faith in me, that they were confident that I was, you know, better than some of the other knuckleheads out there that were, you know, that weren't going to make it, but they had faith in me that I could make it. And so that little boost there was enough to get me through the next few weeks. And um, so that was in the 80s. And But to, to think of all of my accomplishments, that was the number one. Because it was not only mentally grueling, but physically grueling. Yeah. And I overcame. Yeah. Is there something, thinking back to that experience, something in the Army that like a, a skill or something you learned then that like stuck with you that might be valuable as uh, you know a judge on the county circuit court. It's about yeah, 
it's about working together as a team and figuring out how to to work with people that are sometimes difficult mm. and sometimes people who aren't maybe dedicated to the mission and figuring out how to get accomplish the mission uh, get that get it done and yeah. what would what would your mission be as as uh, on the court as judge to make our community better to make our community better, yeah. to make it a community that we're all proud of, to make it a community that we all want to live in, to not have a, to not have a, any bad zip codes. Who wants mm-hmm. to have live in a community where there's bad zip codes that you don't want to drive through, yeah. that you know that are, get the national news for being, you know, not a good place to live or mm-hmm. be born into. I don't know if I can do that. No, no, no. I think it's I think it's uh, rare to hear like what an elected official's mission really is, and it's refreshing to to hear yours. And um, and so with that, I'm gonna I'm gonna end it with the last question that we end every interview with, uh, which is about action steps. As I mentioned earlier, we're all about action steps here at Bridges City. So you kind of have two as an election special. We like to give two action steps um, opportunities for the the people running for office. First is if there's anything campaign related that you want to plug, you can do that here uh, as an action step. Maybe somebody's listening and they want to support you. How do they do that? Uh, but then secondly, an action step that any everyday citizen can take to uh, maybe help you accomplish that mission of making the, the city of Milwaukee a, a better and safer place to live. Well, of course, number one thing, I want people to vote. Mm. That we're expecting a low voter turnout. And let's not do that. Let's vote. My, I was raised in a household where it, we were taught that it is not just your right, but it's a duty. And so I really believe that it's our duty as Americans to vote. And and that is part of, you know, uh, of, of making our community better, is voting at every level. Judges are nonpartisan, but we play a huge role in the makeup of our community. Uh, in just so many different ways. Uh, so vote. And, and, and secondly, vote for me, Danielle Shelton. If you want to uh, reach out and help the campaign, you can go to my website, sheltonforjudge.com. Uh, and there's a, there's a button there for you to sign up for different things that you're capable of doing uh, as, as a, a concerned person. We've had uh, people coming in from outside of Milwaukee a County. This is a county-wide race, so everyone you know, that lives in the county can vote for me. But we've got people from outside of the county that are um, uh, helping in different ways, telling their friends and family within the county to vote and just spreading my name, uh, uh, spreading my name in a, in a good way <laughs> to yeah. vote for me. So, but yeah, those are the two things I need uh, people to do is vote and and vote for me, Danielle Shelton. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you you all so much for listening. Of course, our action step for you all is to vote on April 2nd. Do your research. Figure out who you want to support. Um, If you haven't already voted during early voting, because that's a possibility too, visit myvote.wi.gov. That's G-O-V, myvote.wi.gov to figure out more information about where to vote and who else is on your ballot. We also want to thank Danielle Shelton for taking the time to speak with us and her team for helping coordinate the logistics and timing of the interview. Thank you to Marquette and the Trinity Fellows for letting us use their space to record. And thank you, of course, to all of you for listening. A special thank you to Marshall Michael Logic, a patron of the podcast, who has sponsored this episode with his support. So again, visit patreon.com slash bridge to city to figure out ways that you can support us and continue uh, providing 
important, valuable information to the people in Milwaukee and how they can get involved and make a difference. One of the biggest ways to make a difference, of course, is at the ballot box. So please show up on April 2nd. And as always, visit our website for more information about uh, upcoming events. We had a wonderful event with Milwaukee recently. We have another one coming up in May. So look out for that a political open mic where you all, the listeners, the attendees can, can participate and to speak about what's important to you. And also, of course, follow us on social media, rate, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. And as always, check in with us and let us know how you've helped bridge the city. Bridge the city. Whoa, whoa. Bridge the city. Yeah. Bridge the city. Yeah. Gotta bridge the city.